Hello, and welcome back to The Offspring Magazine, the podcast. It's Bea, and I will be hosting today's podcast. Today, we will continue our discussion with Professor Jochen Marotzke, who is the director for the department The Ocean in the Earth System at the Max Planck Institute for Meteorology in Hamburg, Germany. This will be part two of our conversation, as we were unable to cover everything that I wanted to talk to him about in just under an hour. Today, we talk more about rising sea levels how much we should be worried about rising sea levels, and some solutions, including nature-based solutions, to help prevent the effects of rising sea levels. We also go into a more political discussion about the politics of climate change. Professor Marotzka also tells us his opinions on renewable versus nuclear energy, and we talk in general about what we think Germany is doing right and wrong regarding climate change. I hope you will enjoy this podcast. I guess something that I didn't we didn't talk about yet is the oceans warming. So you mentioned that the oceans are warming because global temperature is rising. Mm-hmm. Is that the only reason why oceans are warming? Yeah. Okay. That's really and and that's uh, you asked how how sh- why are we so sure that humans cause the climate change in terms of physical explanation. I mean, I, I told you the more the statistical approach that Hasselman mm. introduced. But at a more intuitive level, there's another argument which physically I find much easier to grasp. And that is, (coughs) if we look at what is the greenhouse effect, human-induced greenhouse effect. Pause there and maybe let's just take two minutes to explain the greenhouse effect for people that don't know that. What is the greenhouse effect is... Let's look at the natural greenhouse effect effect first. What happens, we have an atmosphere around the Earth and sunlight hits the ground, the ground warms, the ground radiates back, but that radiation uh, is caught by what we call greenhouse gases. It's absorbed by these greenhouse gases. The most important greenhouse gases are water vapor and carbon dioxide, CO2. And that energy that the ground emits is absorbed by the atmosphere, by the, by the greenhouse gases. But that energy has to go somewhere. It cannot just stay there. And then it's re-emitted by the atmosphere. It's emitted upward and it's emitted downward. And the net effect means that the ground receives extra energy, the one that is, comes from the atmosphere. And that's a greenhouse effect. So we have more radiation arriving at the ground and that leads to warming. There's another way of putting it is that at a certain temperature, not all of the radiation from the ground makes it to space. (laughs) Some of it is held back. And and that is... um, I should start differently. I'm sorry for that. So so what I just described, that's a natural greenhouse effect that is important to keep Earth warm. What is it we humans are now doing? we are increasing the concentration of CO2 of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, so we have a stronger greenhouse effect. And that means there's an additional amount of energy held back. And that energy has to go somewhere. And if you look at where does it go, 
more than 90% of it goes into the ocean. It goes into ocean warming. A little bit goes into atmospheric warming, but just the amount of energy is tiny. Mm. And the reason is that the ocean is this big, fat, massive reservoir, this huge heat capacity, as we call it. Uh, and, and so the ocean warms. First by a little, but to warm the ocean, you need a huge amount of energy compared to all other elements in the climate system. And the thing is now we find that energy. So the greenhouse and the, 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 the human-induced greenhouse effect means we hold energy back in the system and we find that energy. We find it in the ocean because the ocean is warmed, mostly in the upper one kilometer, a thousand meters or so, but also below. That, that was actually, I was going to ask whether you see the ocean warming more on the surface more. or f more from below, because that would tell you whether the oceans are warming because yeah. of CO2. Absolutely, and it's yeah. very clear it warms from the surface. The, the heat okay. penetrates from the surface down, and the longer we wait, the more clearly we see the warming also at greater depths. But it's more the... Typically, the, we could say even the, the upper 700 meters, and we know why it's more in the upper 700 meters. Uh, so, so it really comes from the surface. And, and what we can say now is that if we think about the extra energy we held back on Earth through the additional CO2, so we held the energy back. Uh, there's one more step I need to explain. Not all that energy goes into the ocean because some, of course, leads to warming at the surface. But if the surface is warmer, some of that energy makes it out of space. Not mm. all, but some. So we really have a three-way balance. The CO2 holds energy back. Some of it goes into the ocean. Some of it eventually leaves, does leave the system because the surface warms. And the big, big thing is... We, can, we have By now, we have a reasonably good estimate of how much energy we should find in the ocean. And when we look at ocean temperature mm -hmm. rise, we do find it. And even at a quantitative level, we find the right amount of energy that we should be finding according to this three-way balance of CO2 holding energy back, some energy, extra energy leaving to space eventually, and some of it in the ocean. Wait, sorry. I'm just curious. How do you study? Like, how do you quantify how much energy the whole ocean takes up? We got to measure ocean temperature continuously in a lot of places. Because the ocean is huge. It's huge. It's humongous. Like, people and, can't understand how big it is. And, and, the, and, and measuring the ocean, in a way, is painful because ships are slow and the ocean is huge. Mm. And uh, what people have done is, and it, it was an idea born around the mid-1990s, that we should have uh, floats, as we call them, uh, which are small robots which are deployed in the ocean and they sink to a depth of usually 2,000 meters. They just follow, uh, they follow the currents and every 10 days they rise to the surface mm. They measure temperature along the way. They rise to the surface. They trans transmit the information, the data to a satellite. They sink again, and then they go on. That's so cool. <laughs> Is that being used? Oh, it's 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 a fantastic thing. It's called Argo. That that uh, that system is called Argo. 
It's Argo floats. There are around 4,000 of these in the world ocean. So they autonomously traverse the ocean. They live for five to seven years, one of them. Yeah. And that has been the backbone. That's why we now have a much, much, much better uh, idea of measurement of the changing energy content of the ocean. And, uh, and why we can be so certain now that, that indeed we have found the right amount of energy, right, in terms of consistent with how much energy has held, been held back by the additional CO2. Mm. So, so th- this is a different argument. This is not a statistical argument. If we sh- this is basic, basic physics. Energy is conserved, which means does not mean the amount of energy remains the same, but the amount of energy we put in, we find it. That's yeah. energy conservation in in a, in a broader term. But and 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 that's why I also like this as an argument for why we know it's why we're so sure it's humans, because it it's really the very fundamental physics in its purest form, energy conservation. Yeah. And then, as you can tell, even from my sort of simplified depiction, it's a very, very, very different approach from what Hasselmann did. It's more physics-based, not so much statistics-based, but they are fully consistent with each other. And that is one reason why we are so sure. We, we, we try a number of things, and they all point at the same direction. So many approaches have been tried to say, is it, is it humans, is it natural fluctuation? And for temperature rise, the outcome is always the same. Mm. And, and it's that consistency. I know of no, not a single line of reasoning that, that has been checked and has been, uh, that has been uh, is considered valid, not a single line of reasoning that says there is another explanation for the observed warming. Because there have been things that, that have been proposed, but they have all been discredited because the effect is too small. It does not, it's not really, it goes in the wrong direction uh, and, and so on. So there's not a single valid line of evidence, scientifically valid line of evidence that says that warming is due to something else. Okay. And all lines of evidence that have been collected point in the same direction. That's why we are so sure. If it, yeah, it, 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 all, it all fits together. Then different for precipitation change, much harder for precipitation change, uh, but but for the temperature rise, this is a very clear thing. So if the ocean warms because the temperature is warming, global temperature is warming, the global temperature doesn't always, is not steadily increasing, right? Like it yeah. fluctuates. Yeah. So do we see that the ocean temperature also fluctuates yeah. the same way that the global temperature it, fluctuates? It fluctuates more slowly than the atmosphere. The, the atmosphere flickers. Yeah. Uh, the ocean is uh, slower in, in its fluctuates, but it also fluctuates. That's just because it's a lot... It takes a lot more energy to exactly. cool the it's big just, ocean. It's so okay. inert. And everyone living near the sea knows that. Well, actually, those living near the sea and those living in the center of a continent or, or on the east side of a continent... The western yeah. side of a continent is influenced by, by the seas, by the ocean, the, the maritime climates, and the seasonal cycle is much smaller because the ocean is so inert. Or even if, if in summer you just go out sailing or go out in a boat, if, if you're away from the coast by 
it's enough to be away by five kilometers mm. and you tell how cold it gets. Yeah. You better take a jacket because out there <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. a lot colder. Uh, and so, and it's just, it takes a lot more energy, as you say, to, 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 to change ocean temperatures. But the ocean also, it also flickers, but much less and much more slowly than the atmosphere. And the ocean warms the same amount everywhere, or does it warm more in certain areas? It's also inhomogeneous, not not the okay. same everywhere. Uh, and that's again because of different currents, different absolutely. winds. Absolutely, uh, and and it has and it has to do with uh, the, the 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 energy has to be transferred into the ocean by ocean currents, by vertical ocean currents, and they are more vigorous in some regions. In some regions, uh, some sometimes we have very efficient vertical mixing, mm. and that also takes energy down. In other regions, we have. Uh, currents that fairly steady currents that tend to go down uh, and and take heat with them in other regions say typically come back to the tropical to the equatorial eastern pacific there we typically have have, uh, upwelling as we call it upward currents Mm -hmm. they bring the cold water from beneath and they make it harder for the warmth to penetrate So, uh, so that does not warm as much and so depending on the current systems you have a greater or lesser degree of, of warming in the ocean. So the currents affect how much warming there is in certain places. Yep. But doesn't ocean warming also affect or change the currents? Absolutely, yes. So again, that's, yeah, I mean, they that's both work together. So that that's, makes it very that's complicated. Compl- that's complicated. And the um, what the ocean currents, what they are governed by is by two things really one is the the wind blowing at the surface and the other is by temperature by or density contrasts or mm-hmm. horizontal ten- density contrast whenever and density depends on temperature if temperature goes up density goes down but density also depends on the salt content the saltier yeah. the water the denser it is and if you have a region with very strong temperature contrast that's where you typically have strong currents if you cross the Gulf Stream, for example, that's how sailors 200 years ago more discovered the Gulf Stream. If you, if you come from the south and cross, uh, go to the northwest and cross, uh, cross the Gulf Stream, say again, say towards Boston or so, you cross the mm-hmm. Gulf Stream, but you suddenly find it, it gets much, much colder at the surface. Over 50 kilometers, you may have a temperature drop of maybe up to 10 degrees or so. Really, really oh, a lot. Wow. Uh, and uh, and so uh, and, and and those very large temperature contrasts over small spacing horizontally, they usually they come for, with strong currents, and we understand why why that is. We understand that. Wait, principle. sorry, I have a really yeah. quick clarification yeah. I want to make. So, is the depth of the ocean always the same? No, because that surely also influences it, the temperature change. Yes, but in a in a more su- much more subtle way. Oh, okay. And and the and the currents near the surface often don't feel the depth the okay. depth relief. Uh, as we say, they they are shielded almost. Yeah. It's not universally true and not everywhere, but 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 often yes, the the ocean floor is rugged, uh, but but the the surface currents don't really don't always feel. Okay, it. good. Thanks. <laughs> And, but as I said, what they do feel is temperature contrasts, density contrasts. And, and here we're, we're at this point that you're making. Hmm. 
So the the density in uh, sorry the the currents influence the uh influence the temperature, but then the temperature also influences the currents, and that makes the ocean difficult because what yeah. if you look at that mathematically, you see we this is a really really difficult situation. It's it's what we call a nonlinearity in mathematics, that things are not just. Things don't just depend on temperature, uh, velocity, or so on, mm. but but things depend on temperature squared. That's nonlinear, yeah. and whenever things are nonlinear, they easily get completely out of hand mathematically, and this is why even at the very basic level, ocean circulation is difficult theoretically because of that interplay of uh, of temperature temperature differences and and how they are. They steer the flow, so to speak, but then the flow influences the temperature differences and the temperature gradients and contrasts, and and that makes that makes it hard. This is why yeah. we struggle simulating the ocean well. Yeah, exactly. And I can imagine it's also a lot harder to simulate the ocean well as opposed to land. Land is probably a bit easier. Um, it's just because with land, I feel like we have a lot more information because it's easier to study. Whereas the ocean, it's also so deep, you're not going to go ten kilometers down to study the ocean. It's difficult, but it's difficult in a different way. Land, land is not as turbulent. That's true, but land is terribly heterogeneous. Okay. On a very small scale. In the ocean, uh, contrasts are easily wiped out because you have currents that just flow horizontally. On land, you can't. Mm, I see. And that is that heterogeneity is the is why land is hard. Mm. Difficulties arise in in a very different way, and that there's one other thing that makes it hard. <clears throat> okay, the ocean is nonlinear. It's mathematically difficult, but it's governed by the fluid equations by the laws of motion. Yeah. Newton's laws, mass conservation, yeah. energy conservation. By contrast, there is no such a thing as an equation for a tree. <laughs> it does not exist, and I doubt it will ever exist. Of course, also when trees grow and decay, you have energy conservation, water conservation, carbon conservation. But that is not sufficient to describe how an, how an ecosystem functions. Now we, we photosynthesis is governed by some laws, so so there are equations that can be used are being used to to simulate the land biosphere, but you reach the limits of what you can base on laws of nature very quickly. So people who simulate the land biosphere they have to resort a lot more to plausible assumptions rather than mm. laws of nature than we do when we simulate the ocean. Okay. So their difficulty is arises in a very very different way. Yeah. So it's just hard, no matter it's just, what. It's just, it's just hard. always it's hard. hard. It's hard in a different way, and and also for for the atmosphere is also hard in a different way. Those basic currents, how the how density difference influences current influence currents, and so that interplay is easy in the atmosphere, um, because the the. For reason I probably can't go into the, the the typical swirls you have in the atmosphere. They are much bigger than in the ocean. Okay. So a uh, a uh, uh, low pressure system that brings rain. Yeah. It's a thousand kilometers wide. The corresponding piece in the ocean is maybe fifty kilometers wide. So so 
much harder to yeah. resolve. But in the atmosphere, they have a lot of other problems. Uh, they have clouds, they have phase transition, mm. they have radiation interacting with clouds. So the atmosphere has a much richer set of phenomena than the ocean has. But just the fluid motion of the ocean is a lot harder to simulate than it is in the ocean. The, the, as we say, the fluid dynamics itself is much harder in the ocean than in the atmosphere. But the atmosphere, again, has a lot of other things that, yeah. that make their lives hard. So, so it's, um, the, the, the difficulties lie sort of in very different pockets. And, and what we sometimes find is also different difficulties attract different people, what we find. So that's yeah. also curious. Yeah, that is. So um, we have oceans warming and that contributes to rising sea levels. How much should we be worried about the rising sea levels? If you're a planner, you should worry a lot. <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, no, because, uh, right, as I said earlier, sea level rise as a function of warming is as certain as taxes and death yeah. uh, are certain. And it will come. And, and we are committed to a certain level of sea level rise, not immediately, but in the long term. And, and very, very, very roughly, we can say over thousands of years, we're quite sure that every degree Celsius of global warming will bring one meter of sea level rise, give and take, roughly a global sea level rise. Now, we haven't done that, we're not there yet, we have one degree of warming uh, and we're far away from one meter of sea level rise. But if we just wait long enough, it'll come. Inexorably, yeah. it will come. And even within the century, uh, that we may get, if we keep increasing emissions, we, we may get one meter of sea level rise. Uh, if we don't increase emissions so much, it may be less, uh, but it will be quite a challenge to limit sea level rise to 50 centimeters globally. So it will come. And, and 50 centimeters may not sound so much, but the thing is, for coast, if you think of coastal protection, of course, you have other effects. You have storm surges, for example, like here in Western Germany, North, Northern Germany. And the storm surges, they ride that background sea level rise. And of course, it makes a big difference whether the storm surge gets to just below the crest of a dike. Yeah. Or 50 centimeters more to spill over. And there are many parts of the world where people are not well well prepared for future sea level rise. Bangladesh is the poster child. They're taking some measures, relatively inexpensive measures to build differently, more that houses, if necessary, might be able to float a bit okay. and so on. But still, I mean, Bangladesh is so so uh, low-lying and so poor of relief and uh, that uh, sea level rise will hit Bangladesh hard. That's very clear. Many big cities are right next to the coast and even things like where you th think a wealthy powerful country like the united states a hurricane sandy which okay was tough luck in a way that hit new york city head on but just the flooding of the of the subway and so on and yeah. and, and the risk just goes up with sea more sea level rise so another hurricane like sandy hitting would mean uh would would make cause greater uh, problems if sea levels rise by a few tens of centimeters. So sea level rise is really one of the, one of the things that, that 
humankind must prepare for very, very clearly. And, it, and it's not some exotic thing that might happen in some free accidents all come together. Mm-hmm. It's coming for certain. So you say it's coming for certain. Are there ways that we... What are the best ways, I guess, would be a better way to phrase my question. What are the best ways in which we can prevent or slow down the rising sea level? It, it, it's generally true to, 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 to slow global warming. We need to reduce emissions. That's, it's a truism almost, so just, but still... Yeah, find reduce, ways to reduce reduce CO2. emissions, reduce emissions, reduce emissions. CO two emissions have to go to zero if you want to stabilize temperature. Mm. We have to reach zero. That that has not sunk into to quite a number of people. We got to go to zero if you want to stabilize temperature. Stabilizing yeah. sea level is much harder still. So, uh, so we. Just because glaciers are melting all. Yeah. Anyway, they regardless. they melt from the past warming. Yeah. The, sealer, the the past warming, as I said earlier, the past warming commits us to, uh, to to quite a bit of future sea level rise, and and so there's just. For some level of sea level rise, there's just nothing we can do. Yeah. Uh, but we can prevent further further sea level rise, but uh, it's also clear because some of it we are already committed to. We really need to think about better protections against sea level rise. Yeah, uh, I guess that was also what I was a bit alluding to. I mean, uh, there's always the argument that we need to reduce CO two emissions, but I think there's less talk on ways that we can, uh, other other ways that we can prevent the sea rise. I heard, for example, like mangrove, uh, mangroves could be used. Protecting, we we would not prevent the sea level rise, but we would prevent the effect of sea level exactly. rise. Exactly. And and yes, uh, and and I think that is one of the areas where what's it's now uh, fashionable to call it nature based solutions. Yeah. Where they are really powerful. I'm more skeptical about nature based solutions when it comes to mitigation, to preventing, uh, to reducing emissions, but certainly when it comes to adaptation and especially against storm surges and sea level rise. Yeah. Nature can be a great help. And there, and there are examples already also. I have a colleague here from geography, Beate Rata. She works on also the the social the the social aspects of protecting yourself against sea level rise and she has examples from 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 small islands and also poor communities where you say that the technological solutions are by far not as good they're good examples yeah. you build a wall here that means where the wall stops <laughs> it gets all the much worse and so build like mangroves building them out there yeah. To, to slowing down the waves and so on, basically to take the edge off what is yeah. coming. Um, I think another example is New Orleans, uh, which was destroyed by the Hurricane Katrina in 1995. Uh, that also showed how poorly, poorly protected New Orleans was uh, against uh, against storm surges. And, uh, and I heard recently, apparently, some of the... Some of the measures were that were taken go in that direction. I mean, rather than just building a wall, think how you can make nature work yeah. in your support. Uh, and, and I think generally when it comes to how to deal with climate change, I think more should be done on accepting that some of it will happen. And how can we prepare for it? How can we protect us from it? 
it's sometimes not popular and and it, it's gotten a bit better in Germany but say if if I'd said that 20 years uh, gee uh, we some some climate change is going to happen anyhow so let us prepare for it some people who said it they, they were accused of defeatism and say hey you've already given up and you know, almost you've joined forces with the enemy you've given up on trying to, to mitigate further climate change yeah. by by wanting to spend money an effort on on adaptation so yeah which is i think it's a it's a silly stance uh to, because uh we have to prepare some of it some of it is going to happen for sure like sea level rise some other things we don't know they may happen but we don't know like heavy precipitation is just so hard to predict so there we better prepare for a certain range of outcomes yeah we don't know which what will happen but we have a large spread of possible futures there and we better prepare for that spread. Again, that is preparedness. And, and the difficult thing is there is that, okay, so you prepare for a possible disaster and it doesn't happen for 30 years. Then people will come and say, hey, we're wasting our money. See, nothing has happened. What have you told us? And, and, and we've seen that uh, last year in Germany, the, 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 the terrible floodings, mm, which... Yeah. People were very quick to jump to conclusions it was climate change. I kept my mouth shut. I was really glad no one was asking me right after because what I should have said and now can say would have, been, would have come at the terribly, completely wrong moment that if you look at the fatalities, only a small amount is climate change and most of it is just complete lack of preparedness. Yeah. And that is so, but but that's not something you could say the day after. It would have been oh, definitely that, that not. would have been sort of smarter definitely luck coming not. and maybe playing in the hands in that case playing in the hands of climate change deniers. But now with a bit of a distance, I mean they had no warning systems to speak of. Mm. The sirens have been disbanded after the end of the Cold War in Germany, and so, uh, so, so, uh, and 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 if someone had said, "Gee, we need to," well, we have a river that could go wild. And probably the answer would have been, are you nuts? I've, I've lived here for 50 years and nothing has ever happened. What are you telling me? Well, I should have told him, look, the, real, the last really, really terrible flood was 200 years ago. Yeah. And that's what we just saw repeated, apparently. And, but to argue with something that happened 200 years ago, and then to say, we've got to spend money on protection, that's a, that's a tough battle to fight. Mm. And I have no recipe for how to do that. Uh, but yeah. but what, what we've seen in, in both instances in North Rhine-Westphalia and in Rhineland-Palatinate, it, it, was, it was parallels in lack of preparedness in both states that, that is breathtaking, but maybe understandable because, gee, it hasn't happened for as long mm. as we can think back. So why should we prepare for something... That's not on our minds. Well, we, yeah. we know the answer why maybe we should, but it's very, it's very hard to prepare for something that is not on our minds, let me put it this way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I also, I like to stay optimistic right now that, I mean, as a scientist, I feel like I need to stay optimistic as well, but that science will be able to find nature-based solutions to help slow down or prevent huge disasters from happening because of the rising sea levels. Here, we quickly needed a water break.
My, my, my throat is getting dry. I mean, you're definitely you, yes. talking a lot more than me. That's true, but you also have a, a f- fair share, which should be. We, we want to have a dialogue here, not a monologue. Yeah, I mean, so, it's, it's uh, the expert always. It's more interesting when you talk than when I talk. No, uh, no, but, but you, what, what you throw in is important because, I mean, I, I can tell that you prepared very carefully, so... Um, I... It's just, it's a very interesting topic. And I think in the public, we also see so many different opinions on it. We see people that are very apocalyptic about climate change, that it's, it's you know, doomsday, like we're all going to die. And yeah. then we have the climate deniers that yeah. think it doesn't exist. And then we have like a wide range in the middle. And so it's, you know, sometimes I just, I like to think about all the different opinions and see, well, where do I even stand? And it's mm-hmm. good to talk to an expert about it. Because, and a scientist about because, it because yeah some of it is opinions and but but some of it is not and uh, there are a few things and uh there are a few things we do know it's not as if you knew as if everything was just up in the air and completely uncertain no some things we are sure about and it's really important i think to 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 make that distinction clear enough you know, some things are beyond doubt and some others we just don't know. And, and I think we, we need to keep that separate. Yeah. I just quickly, because we're talking mm-hmm. about nature-based solutions. So we mentioned the mangrove swamps that I guess for the audience, if they don't know about it, it's I think mangrove swamps, they act to rise the land faster than the sea levels, right? Ah, I didn't even know that, but oh. I, I take your word for it. Yes. Yeah, so I, I, I thought it was just breaking breaking the flow, but okay. So. No, so that's what I heard because they okay. take up yeah. a lot of the soil. Right. And so that's why they can actually rise the land that faster. That, that's really effective. Um, yes, exactly. Indeed. And then they yeah. also obviously yeah. act as a carbon sink. But so I heard that that is a nice nature-based solution to think about to prevent rising sea levels. Mm. Do you know of any, any other nature-based solutions? No, I'm. I'm not. I'm really. In, in terms of uh, protecting against the seas, not really off the top of my head. In, okay. in addition to the examples, but but then I, I I have to say, uh, when it comes to technology, that's not really my strong yeah, point. Yeah, of course. So, of course. Uh, the the thing where I'm more skeptical, I I can say is, we're also something think when it comes to the mitigation part, like afforestation. Mm. Now it's clear we should not deforest. It's clear we should not cut down the Amazonian rainforest. That's a terribly bad idea for a number of reasons. But afforestation is often overestimated in its efficacy. Yeah, with afforestation, you mean planting trees. Really planting trees, deliberately planting trees as a carbon sink. And uh, because um, the, the one thing we have to think about and that's sometimes forgotten um, just like for every ton of co2 we emit into the atmosphere only half of it remains in the atmosphere every ton we take out of the atmosphere and that goes into tree only half of that becomes effective because in okay. a way the other half then comes out relatively speaking comes out of the ocean and the land biosphere yeah. so we have that reverse effect too so yeah. so if we if we pull CO two out of the atmosphere in whichever way, yeah, half of it is being replenished by the ocean and the and the land because they then take up less than they originally did. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So, For me, I guess the main thing that I was thinking about planting trees, I find it a bit of a 
It's a short-term solution, but I don't see it being a long-term solution just because when the trees die, yeah. they release all the they CO2 release. back. It, it, it may buffer, it may buffer the effect and there are people thinking about if you used more wood for construction rather than mm. concrete, cement production is also a big CO2 emitter. So, so we, we may, it, it, it will not be the big solution, but it may have an effect. Yeah. And, and I, I think as long as we understand that whatever we do, we cannot escape the complete transformation of our energy system. We got to bring CO2 emissions, net, the net emissions to zero, and that requires a, a, a gigantic worldwide upheaval of the current mm. energy system supply systems as long as we understand that we're not getting away from that i would say all all contributors are welcome so if you if you plant more trees it may have other effects too maybe we log the trees and use them for construction work rather than cement good uh, but we just shouldn't fall into the trap of believing that planting trees will solve the problem as long yeah, as I we, agree. as long as we burn fossil fuels we're not solving <laughs> Yeah. Problem. That's just first of all the magnitude of it. Uh, we, we, we've got to be aware of it. Yeah. We talk about reducing CO2 emissions. We do live in Germany where a lot of investment has gone into renewable energy sources, but we do not have any nuclear energy. Do you have an opinion on that? Yeah, I, I, I think the by and large, I, I think the, the way the Germans took is the right way to... The, if you think about using nuclear power and then r shutting it down, uh, I mean, that was haphazard. There was no strategy. Uh, and the conservative government first extended the lifetime and then after Fukushima, they very quickly said, we want to get out quicker. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think had, had they decided to phase out nuclear power on a somewhat longer term, I would have had no problem with that. Uh, what sometimes people say, nuclear power is the solution for the climate problem, then I say, nope, it's not. It's much, much, much too expensive. There's okay. one country in the world that builds nuclear power plants to schedule and to uh, budget, and that's South Korea. Every other country has m humongous cost overruns and time overruns. So by the time we have built those nuclear power plants, it's too late almost. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, one could say it's never too late, but we're talking about a 50-year period in which we want to bring CO2 emissions to zero. And it, it, it would take this time to build a fraction of the nuclear power plants. So, so there's a big distinction between keeping them running and building new ones. There, there's another example. If you, if you look at the total supply of nuclear power worldwide, in terms of gigawatts power uh, created, the installed power of new of new renewables, the currently installed powers power, in two years, it's the same power as all nuclear power plants together. Okay. Wow. Now that may not be usable the whole time. Yeah. Fair enough. And but even if we discount that and say it's fifty percent, then we will be at four years. Mm, yeah, yeah. So so and, and that's what we're doing right now, and that's compared to all nuclear power plants together. So so, to me, the belief in building more nuclear power plants is completely misguided, because it misses the opportunity of creating power, uh, from renewals plus of course, 
storage, storage system, intelligence system, they have to be built. They don't exist yet. But mm. if I look at how long it takes to build nuclear power plants, even in countries that are favorable, favorably inclined like Britain, even they have huge trouble with the new plants they are trying to build right now. So from a purely practical standpoint, uh, it's, it's not going to work. Wouldn't you think it would be more efficient, though, to keep the ones that we already have yes. running? I, I think I would have... Uh, I, I, I thought this... Just because the cost is not... Because the cost uh, mainly comes from they, building they, they, a nuclear power plant. They are written, they are written off, and the, and the completely, still completely unsolved problem of what to do with the nuclear waste, the problem is huge and unsolved, but it's getting marginally yeah. bigger. Uh, no, I, 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 th- I think I would have um, th- that. I, I thought it was too quick a move out, and but as I said, there was no, uh, there was no real strategy. I mean, the 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 uh, the Social Democrat Green government said we want to phase out nuclear power mm. plant, and then the Conservative government extended yeah. the runtime, and they said we we're getting out faster. I think it was faster than even planned before. So that was all sort of just uh, reacting to the to the current situation. I think uh, also maybe we're reacting to the public's opinion. It also yes. Yeah. And and I think in both cases, I I, I think I would have wished for a bit more rational policy, but uh, but still I think by and large, I mean it is said sometimes by by circles also in Germany, oh, oh you're giving up on 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 climate change mitigation. By phasing out nuclear power, power, I I disagree with that. Uh, I really think the, uh, the, the way to 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 go for renewables, uh, that's the thing, and and it's a lot cheaper. We see that. Mm. We see now now how the price of renewables how how dramatically cheap they are for for power production yeah. compared to others, and in a way that no one would have foreseen. Yeah. And so so I I think that that direction is very clear. Now it, it's it's only part of the issue. Transportation is hard, buildings are hard, but I would say that it's also part of the argument is political. I think that if we don't even manage for power production for electrical power, then how are we going? If we don't solve the relatively easy problem, how do we solve the harder one? Uh, so it's also part of creating a momentum. Now that is not an economic argument. That is not. A, it's a, mm. This is really a political argument to say, let us build a success story, to say to say, okay, look, we can do it. A, we can do it, and B, we're not suffering by doing it. We're actually doing fine by doing it. Yeah. And I think we need those those sort of successful, uh, success stories because if we don't have them, if Prevention of further climate change is being perceived as just a sacrifice, uh, just something you uh, and and you don't want to do it, but you have to. Then it's not going mm. to work because no one is is playing a sacrificial lamb for the whole world. It's not going to happen. We know exactly. we know there's plenty of empirical evidence of that that people are not willing to do that, and so I think these kind of success stories and saying, look, we manage a transformation of part of what we do, and we're doing well doing that. I think that that's the way to go. Yeah. So you think that um, using wind, solar, I guess those would be the two main renewable energy sources that you Certainly could that use here in Germany. In Germany yeah. Exactly. You think that 
yeah, in the upcoming years, that would be the best solution yeah. to get to net yes. zero. <clears throat> yes, absolutely. And you also think that it would be possible for Germany to get to net zero just, or would we still need to be using natural gas? Just because solar and wind don't give you constant energy yeah, supplies. Um, I, I'm skeptical about the natural gas, but, but that may be the thing, especially the, the debate we're currently having uh, about do we prepare for more use of natural gas uh, yeah. and liquefied natural gas. I don't know. Uh, the, and, and I don't envy our, uh, our economics and yeah. climate minister who's now being beaten by the green movement and saying, how can you invest in, in liquefied natural gas? And, and I, I say, hmm, maybe they are right, maybe, maybe not. Uh, because, I mean, the, as often in climate, we, we have the tension between short-term and long-term interests. And, uh, and, and if you don't serve the short-term interests, you have a crisis, you have a short-term crisis, uh, and, and you're out of office quickly. Yeah. So, so you, you can't just bank on the long-term interest. This is not going to work. Uh, so so I, I don't know whether, whether they are, the current government is betting too much on gas. Uh, maybe they are, but I, I find that hard to judge. Yeah. What, I, what I am sure of is, is one thing, it would be too short-sighted only to look at solutions within Germany. I do think that it, it uh, we have to look more broadly uh, and, and more at the European level. I mean, we, we have this story like solar solar energy and, and photovoltaics and the question of like, there was this company, Desert Tech, they tried to build it in Morocco, I think. Okay, and, uh, I have not heard yeah, of that. that, was, that, that, that was about, I think it started 15 years ago and died 10 years ago because of the political oh. instability in Northern Africa. Yeah. And... And of course, you've got to trans- transport that power. Uh, but now there's more of a discussion in Spain. I mean, Spain okay. has mm-hmm. kind of almost deserts or has deserts. I'm not sure what the official classification is. Yeah. So a collaboration with Spain, I mean, about uh, photovoltaics in Spain, uh, maybe built with German money, German investment, would, could make eminent sense. Yeah. Again transmission losses and so you have to think about it uh, and I, I, I don't know what they are and what can be done but I am quite sure that uh, that if, if, if you think more broadly about uh, European countries collaborating on that that, that this yeah. may well be the thing I've heard people say oh Germany can never be climate neutral or even with power they cannot do that and, and that's sometimes said what's all this nonsense well, that's a wrong conclusion. I mean, it may well be true that German cannot be completely self-sufficient, but but the conclusion cannot be that we keep importing oil from Russia. Well, exactly. But the, but the conclusion then has to be, hey, why don't we get together with our friends in Europe, like Spain, yeah. and say, hey, can we can we strike a deal? Strike a deal. And, and would the cost of going to Spain to to harvest some solar energy? And then transporting it back to Germany, would that still be a lot cheaper than building a nuclear power plant? I expect so, yes. Okay. But I'm 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 not not sufficiently an expert on that. But I expect so. Looking looking at the cost estimates I've seen of the British power plants, my yeah. guess is yes. It would yeah. be because you would have a you would have an economy of scale. The one the one that we have. Uh, also now, and that, that was some of the really impressive figures that were shown in the 
Working Group 3 IPCC report that came out in April, uh, yeah, in April, they, they, they showed just the cost per, per, per unit power uh, created yeah. and for renewables. And, and it was Still just down. unbelievable uh, how, how that cost has plummeted over the last yeah. 20 years. And so, uh, and, and as far as I understand, it's not, it wasn't a technological breakthrough. Yeah. It was just more efficient production because because uh, things scaled up. Yeah. Well, I guess the demand increased, right? Yeah. So then it's easier yeah. to get to economies yes. of scale. Yeah. Right. Um, my yeah, my thought would be just with nuclear. I guess ever since I don't know the nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties, the demand for nuclear has gone down. Public opinion has gotten a lot more negative about it. So is that also influencing the fact that the cost is staying so high? That. May maybe, but the but I I see two other things that would speak against that the effect of public opinion. One is, for all I can tell, nuclear power plants are uninsurable. Oh. That goes up. Oof. No insurance would do wow. that okay. because we know. I mean, just look at what happened in Fukushima. Yeah. There's an area of several tens of square kilometers which are de facto uninhabitable. Yeah. And who would? Uh, can't even begin to imagine what what economic damage that is, and and that is no, no one ensures that. Hmm. And the other is, uh, no one ensures or takes financial guarantees for what to do with the nuclear waste. Yeah. It's if if that wasn't subsidized by the states, it wouldn't happen. No private company does that. Yeah. Because we have no idea what the long term cost of that is. And uh, and you can see, look at the agreement in, in Germany. Basically, there was a certain number of billions of euros that the industry paid to the state, but then the risk was transferred to the state. So, so the public takes the risk for what to do with, with, the, uh, with the nuclear waste. And, and what to do with highly reactive nuclear waste, it's completely unclear. Mm-hmm. No one knows what to do. So I feel like I'm totally playing devil's advocate <laughs> right fine, now, and I'm fine. going to. No, that's but fine. But I'm fine. just I know, wondering. I know, yes, no, no, and I think we need to ask this question, these questions, and and and. Uh, but it's just that. Uh, so so it's it, it it it's an element of 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 risk analysis, of course, and and uh, and this is one example where I, I find the use of the precautionary principle adequate, um, and because. The, if things go wrong with nuclear power, they can go wrong on such a grand scale. Mm. And, and that is different from, and, and which says that the past is not a good guide, the risks from or events from the past not, are not a good guide for what could happen in the future. Uh, whereas if you take, even if you take coal, of course we had many more people dying in coal mines than from nuclear power, that's true. But we have a pretty good idea of, of how big the risk can become with yeah. nuclear power. I, w- I would claim, no, we don't. Mm. And um, when Fukushima is an example, and, uh, and, and that, that there was no big city there. I mean, the, the thought of being a nuclear power plant, something happening like in Fukushima and something happening with a really big city close by. Yeah. Would we ban that? Ban Tokyo? And, oh. and, and and the other thing is and, and that is that is something where where some proponents who say, Oh, 
this could never happen in Germany. They, they're always quick to say, after Three Mile Island in Harrisburg, uh, they say, it yeah. could never happen in Germany. Ours are built differently. Uh, Chernobyl, this could never happen in Germany. And yeah, maybe. But what struck me in Fukushima is that such a high-tech country like Japan, I mean, why did the meltdown occur? Because yeah. of the most stupid, low-tech, low-tech error they may you can imagine. All the emergency diesel power generators all drowned in the same hole. They were not protected against the mm. flood and they were not usable and therefore the power plant had no power and they could not exactly. fuel the reactors. Exactly. And this had nothing to do with nuclear safety design. This yeah. just had to do with, you could almost say, common sense. You yeah. don't put all your eggs in one basket but they did put all the eggs in one basket, so that was a low-tech design error, and they did it. And who's to say that in a German power plant, such a similarly stupid mistake is not happening? It always happen. And so, uh, so I mean, they, they were so different. Each, each error was, it was design errors. Some were at a higher t- tech level. Chernobyl was an, a completely uncontrolled experiment. Uh, running into the into the unstable regime of the power plant, Fukushima was a s- stupidity with the with yeah. the generators, and who's to guarantee that something stupid is not happening? Oh yeah, in Harrisburg they they forgot to open the valves for the for the feeding for the cooling water feeding. Mm. They, the, after maintenance they don't didn't reopen. Now this yeah. is low tech. <laughs> yeah, and, but, you, but but it, but it happens. Stupid that these things happen. But but that that's the point. Stupid things happen, yeah. and so and 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 the and the the potential risk is high, and that that is why I have to admit I I would rather accept a a bit more in global warming, yeah, than having that to me uncontrollable risk sort of at the tail of the probability distribution. Yeah. Yeah, and actually going back to the waste, because we were talking about nuclear waste and how we don't know what to do about it. Actually, so with solar panels, though, there's quite a lot of waste yeah. with solar panels, especially because I'm not sure what, um, what metal is in solar panels. Oh, I. I there, there are num- there, number. No, no, no. Fair enough. Uh, the uh, the a lot of the high tech products we're using there, they come with their own pollution problems. Yeah. No question, and and I think we ought to get a lot. We, human, collectively, ought to get a lot better in reusing, recycling, and whatever. Um, still thinking of the waste. If I look highly reactive nuclear waste and whatever it is that comes out of that, uh, uh, the, the the solar panels. Yeah, I, I'll double check I, that. I see. Yeah, I, I see. There, there is no contest because I mean, there, I I've seen a statement recently. Someone who was a converted, uh, says she she converted from being against nuclear power now in favor. Said, oh, after five hundred years, it's no longer dangerous. And I thought, where 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 does this come from? I, and I think she was referring to the medium level reactive material that mm. indeed has cooled off after 500 years but not the highly reactive one unless it is being transformed to something else and that's a whole new industry it is yeah uh, maybe in 100 years they will have the solution but even 500 years safeguarding something for 100 years i mean we have to look hard to find a political unit in the world that has lasted for 500 years 
course, China has existed as a state for longer, but I mean, to safeguard something for 500 years, mm. it's an incredibly long time. Yeah. And something that's really dangerous. Yeah. So. And I guess the same goes for solar panels. Like, I think the investment has to go into trying to find ways to, to take the material out of the, the solar panels that don't work anymore, that have yeah. expired, basically, rather than just extracting the metals yeah. again yeah. that's really where because if we can get that right then it yeah. just makes the use of solar panels yeah. so much better and 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 i think and that is something where it's much easier for me to see a solution because uh we've we found many solutions for yeah. many things also when it comes to batteries we've seen how exactly cheaper again uh, uh environmentally no not friendly not usually uh, there's work to do also, some people say uh, with renewables, uh, we, we don't have the storage. Uh, well, yes, but we're working on it. And people are working on it with high speed all over the world. Mm. And so, so uh, and, and we've, see, we've seen development in the past. And I think uh, there's good reason to believe it will continue in the future. By contrast, I've seen not in terms of quick development when it comes to nuclear waste i've, I've seen nothing that that has been quick yeah. and um and of course there is also the political side uh if you look at the at the history of west germany the 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 state and the party that pushed nuclear power uh most fervently was uh bavaria and the christian uh what's it called the Christian Social Union, yeah. and if you now look, who most determinately says no nuclear waste facility can ever be in our state, it's <laughs> Bavaria. They refuse everything. And yeah. so, so you have this uh, situation of hypocrisy that uh, people don't want to live with the consequences of their decisions in this case the party doesn't want that particular party doesn't want yeah. to live with the consequences of their decision and uh, and we, we can see that that of course makes it extra hard because they're not in my backyard and then comes in once people know what they would be getting yeah yeah uh, and, and and that has to be factored in so but but the the physics the pure physics problem of dealing with that stuff is, is tough yeah yeah, so then clearly solar and wind yeah. are the way to reach <laughs> yes, net zero absolutely. here in Germany. Absolutely. But yeah. I also think um, we should probably make more use of putting uh, wind turbines into the ocean. Just because you can, there's just so much more wind there. It would be so much more efficient. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. The, the thing is the current speed. The, it's, uh, oh, do, do you mean offshore? Just, just uh, I guess more onshore. But maybe no, no, no. Do, do, but do you mean, uh, so to, to use the, the ocean currents directly? No, or to you or just to put uh, Or the wind over the ocean. Yes, yes. yes. The no, wind no, over I, the ocean. I, I, I so much stronger. The, the, it's, it's so much stronger. And then... And I also think, and yes, you have less of a problem that people people don't like the side of them, and and so on. And of course, no, nothing is ever for free. And then if you if you install a, a park somewhere offshore, then of course you are influencing ecosystems and so on. That's true. Yeah. But um, but I think you you're not getting anything for free. And 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 you're right, of course, that the uh, the uh, wind is stronger. The the. 
the economic balance it's, it's, it's unclear to me because of course it's it's also hard to, to, direct, well. some, yeah, to direct something but but i th- that is something where where i i do think uh, solutions will be found uh, that this can be done what what uh, annoys me is that especially the conservative parties in germany that they blocked the the further building of wind power uh, wind power plants in in germany because they they I heard that. The, the the distance rules again bavaria number yeah. 1 but north rhine westphalia also uh where uh, uh they were blocking, uh, really blocking it, and and the installation of renewables has slowed down in the uh, in the late uh, tens uh, of the century. And I remember about five years ago, the then uh, federal uh, economics minister said, "We got to cap the the installation of new renewable power plants." I said, "Why? Yeah. Why we need? To, was a political goal to cap that?" And uh, and so and so it has gone down now. Now it's it's reversing, but uh, to me it's it's it is clear that this is the way to go. I guess one of my final questions would be: How easy is it for you to keep like politics and the science separate? Because I'm assuming that you talk to politicians as well, or you know, if you were helping with the IPCC, you surely have an influence. And I think that sometimes it can be hard to, to keep these two separate. I, I try to keep them quite separate. The thing is, uh, w- one thing that helps me, no, maybe I should start in a different way. I, someone pointed me to Max Weber not so long ago, so I read a bit of Max Weber. I, mean, I don't know much about sociological literature, but in, in, he wrote in, in political science, it's much harder. And, and he apparently was the first to formulate that explicitly, that it's a different thing to analyze scientifically how politics work and societies work and to make politics. Yeah. And what he suggested is you, you really ought to keep the object of your desire at a distance. And that's what I try to do. Um, that's, a, that's a one thing. So I, I, try, I try to stay out of concrete political things. I mean, I was asked a while ago, would you, uh, would you uh, uh, sign a declaration against building a coal-fired power plant here? And I said, no, I'm, I'm staying out of these concrete things. But then one thing that has helped me is uh, that, that, of course, we people do do research on how the, the politics of climate change, how do societies deal with it, how, how do social movements operate. And here in Hamburg, we have an excellence cluster. We call, so funded by the uh, DFG, the German Research mm. Council, called Climate, Climatic Change and Society. And I would claim, certainly in Germany, but I think in the world, we, may, we are certainly among the strongest, if not the strongest, in how much social science of climate change we do. Really, the social dynamics. Okay. And that has taught me a lot. So these people look at how the public creates narratives about climate change, because they... they, they, they they're not created by scientists, they're created by yeah. others. So the, uh, the, the, the picture of climate change is constructed in the social dialogue. And they study social movements. How big is the influence of Fridays for Future? How big is it really? Yeah. What is it we assume it is and what, what does it really do? They look at investment patterns and divestment patterns. Uh, some of the company, large companies, 
with large CO2 uh, uh, footprints, how do they make investment decisions? Do they change their investment decisions? Yeah. And so we do a lot of that research here in Hamburg, and, and I'm I'm the one of the deputy spokespersons of that that cluster. So I've learned a lot from them. And and what I've also done a totally different angle for many years with a colleague. I've done experiments in the lab where people play for money. Okay. And it's all a, always has a climate change framing. And so we explore whether people are willing. They they can make real money. It's usually played with first year students. They can make real money. Mm. Not huge sums, but they play for 45 minutes, an hour, and they can make between, say, 10 euros and 50 euros. And 50 euros for one, one hour's work for first-year student, that's a yeah. trivial amount. They, they want to make that money. Yeah. So we get to their real motives. That they, they, it, it, it's not role-playing. They want to make that money. They yeah. serve their interest, which is legitimate interest. They serve it. And from all these things, I think I've gained, for a, for a hardcore national scientist, I would say I've gained a, a, a pretty solid understanding of political processes. And uh, so um, I am looking at, at, at the political process and at the social discourse, and, and I try to understand, and, and then I would comment on what works and what does not work. And uh, so I, I would say I'm staying out of the day-to-day politics, but I, I do look at what has happened. And, and then a colleague of mine here from the social science, science, he actually said a year ago, well, you've changed your tune because I've been asked in an interview, what can I as an individual do to, to okay. prevent further climate change? And I said, look, of course, there are these things that are sensible, uh, less car uh, usage, more public transportation but but that's not going to change the political system and we're going not we need to change the energy transform we need to change uh, transform the energy system but the one thing i believe you can do is make sure people run ministries who take climate change seriously and in the old government we have an economics minister and we had a transportation minister who did everything in their power to block mm. further prevention yes, of climate no, change and I would still claim that was an analysis of the political system. And, and, and I think what we see now, even if people are not always happy with what the government does, but we've seen a huge improvement through this changing government. I'm a lot more optimistic now uh, yeah. than I was before. So now you could argue, did I, was, that, was I being political? Maybe I was, but it's also, I would say, it's an analysis of the political situation with a minister who doesn't care or is unable. Mm. Uh, this is not going to work. Yeah, that's very true. It, and and it's, it, it may be a, it, almost a truism, but still, the ministers are powerful. And we see, especially in Robert Habeck, uh, we see that fantastic change that has taken place at the level of that ministry so um so i've done that so in that, in that sense i am not I'm, I'm i'm certainly not sitting in the ivory tower i still try to 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 um to acknowledge that a scientific analysis and a scientific result even a scientific analysis of the political system is something very very different from making politics yeah but i i 
probably I'm a bit more forthcoming now and speaking my mind because I, in some way, then I, I, did, I did get fed up. Certainly, I got fed up with that old government. Yeah. I mean, I think it's very important for scientists to speak their mind and make the narrative. It is our job to do that as well. So, but it's just, I do feel like climate change is a topic that is very scientific, but very politicized these days yeah. as well. And and the, the difficulty is, I certainly do not want to come across as an activist. The, the difficulty is, I think, uh, with, with activism is that, of course, some people have to be activists, of course. Political change only occurs because yeah. people are active, no question. But mixing the roles of a scientist and an activist, the, 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 the fear I would have is that I... I underestimate the possibility that I'm wrong scientifically. And I, I got to be open for that. And and if somehow mm. being right means it serves what I like to see to be done politically, that's when I'm getting skeptical. Yeah. Am am I am I as willing I mean it's always hard to, to admit I'm wrong, I was wrong. It's never easy for a scientist or anyone else, but also for scientists. We always say, oh, yeah, new evidence comes in and we revise our statement. Ah, come on, it's not that simple. We, mm. Everyone who's doing science knows yeah. <laughs> that it's not true. But, uh, but I think it's harder still if you suddenly say, oh, it would be better if I was right because that helps this cause. That's getting dangerous. And so that's why I think distance to the object of your desire is an important thing to 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 increase the chance of being self critical enough. Yeah. But I have no no recipe for, for, for where to, where to draw the line. I mean I, I think we as a field have have an obligation to engage in the public discourse, no question. Whether we would I be in favor of building this or that LNG terminal <laughs> that I find difficult. And there's also the question: Do I have do I have the knowledge? Yeah. Uh, and and I and and also I I see a number of quick transfers of scientific analysis, especially in economics, into political demands where I feel quite mm-hmm. uneasy. That some I say, I don't think that your theory carries you far enough to <laughs> yeah to 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 place this demand yeah. Well, thank you so much for this really nice conversation. I really enjoyed it. And yeah, thank you again. Thank you. I enjoyed it too. That's part two. Thank you all so much for listening. If you would like to learn more about Professor Joachim Marotzke and his research, you can look at his website. And if you like our podcasts, make sure to follow us on our Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram page. Thanks again for listening. Bye. Austrian Magazine, the podcast, is brought to you by the Max Planck HGNet Science Communication Group known as the Austrian Magazine. The intro-outro music is composed by Srinath Rankumar, and the pre-intro jingle is composed by Gustavo Carrizzo. If you have any feedback, comments, or suggestions, please feel free to write us at offspring.podcasts at phgnet.mpg.de. Until next week, stay safe, stay healthy. Bye!